0: Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in private practice now 26 years since it's 2019 and I started a podcast a couple of years ago in order to reach those of you who might be already in therapy but really want to benefit from another psychologist or mental health professional's viewpoint but also to those of you who might be dealing with a diagnosis for the first time of depression or anxiety, bipolar disorder, or an eating disorder, something that you have to learn how to manage and cope with. And then there's that third group I'm trying to reach that might never darken the door of a therapist's office, but is just curious enough to want to know something about what someone like me might have to offer. I'm really weary of the stigma against mental illness and mental illness treatment, so self-work is a podcast to confront that stigma and let you know there's nothing fragile or weak about being open to new ideas. Today we're going to be focusing on building self-esteem as you age. Now you may ask in the culture of adoring youth, is that really possible? But you know, I think so. It kind of depends on your focus. So many of us fear aging and the ambiguity it brings. I'll never forget a woman I saw. I might have mentioned her on this podcast. She was in her mid-40s, and she came in and was telling me really about a pretty good life she had. But So after about 20 minutes, I said, well, can you tell me what the problem is? And her eyes filled with tears. And she said, I so fear getting older because so far everything has gone really pretty well. But I know that there's so much loss inherent in aging. And she's right. We, we tuck, we plank, we devour kale just to stay afloat and try to deal with that ambiguity. But sometimes it doesn't take away what can be real fear. Maybe it takes away a few pounds or some wrinkles, but not fear. So I'll talk about a specific technique to help with this process, something that mental health professionals call reframing. It's worked for me and maybe it'll work for you as well. I hope so. And our listener email, which is a regular feature of each podcast, because I love it that so many of you are sending in questions to ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. This listener has really identified with perfectly hidden depression. She asks, but how do I get started on working on it? So we'll answer that question and talk about aging. Fairly recently, I was talking to my 24-year-old son, and he goes, Mom, you know, I can't believe you're in your 60s. We didn't really talk about it further. I just smiled, and we moved on to football or where he works or some other very important subject. So what made that comment somewhat important to me was I had recently commented on a social media blog that I didn't usually comment on. It was definitely geared toward younger people, and someone read my comment and called me an old lady. And... Frankly, the rest of what that guy said was not all that complimentary either. He didn't agree with me, which is fine. But it didn't feel great to be a target, to be called old in a way that really reflected pure disdain. It's not my first and probably not my last experience with what is called ageism. I had another experience with it. Oh, probably a year or two ago, a doctor's office had told me that I needed to fill out a form online. Well, now, I've been online for six or seven years in a pretty complete way, so I know what I'm doing, and I went to their website, tried to get their form to work. It didn't work. So I went to the doctor's office and said, well, your form doesn't work, and she looked at me like, oh, yes, you know, we understand, and she said, well, I'll check it out for you, and sure enough, she checked it out. She couldn't make it work either. But I knew in her eyes that she was looking at me not as Margaret Robinson Rutherford, but as a person older than her and perhaps as old as her mother or, you know, maybe even her grandmother. Back several years ago, there were two very controversial and opposing articles on the topic. And I'll have these links in the show notes. Ezekiel Emanuel wrote a really good thought-provoking article, Why I Hope to Die at 75, he wrote that we should all refuse elaborate medical treatment or medicine that would fight off infections, etc. after age 75. His point, it was all downhill for most of us after that age. And he quotes some statistics to back him up. So we should just accept that, quality over quantity. Now, it was interesting to note that the author was in his early 50s and he reserved the right to change his mind as he himself aged. I thought that was uh, kind of funny, actually. That made me smile. In vast contradiction, an author named Louis Latham reminded us that age doesn't have to be a factor in what you have to give to your family, to humanity itself. In fact, it may take many years to attain your fullest potential. These ideas were featured in an article, Old Masters at the Top of Their Game, and he would argue that as long as you have the capacity to be purposeful, life has meaning. Many say that those people who do hang on to that capacity are just lucky, there's the phrase, oh, they have their health. And we do watch people we love develop diseases that we ourselves dread, and it breaks our hearts for them and frightens us. So we down flaxseed and blueberries just to try to avoid that particular fate. But I have a beef about how people talk about their age. I watch Kelly Ripa's show that used to be Kelly and Michael, and now it's Kelly and Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> but... Liam Neeson was on there one time and he said, I don't feel sixty two, I feel maybe thirty seven and models will tell you that when they turn fifty they feel thirty. And I hear these words constantly, but I've never understood it. My mother said it, my dad Riley complained in the opposite direction. My reality, however I'm probably feeling now, that's what my version of thirty felt like or forty or fifty, or now what my sixties feel like. I felt thirty seven when I was 37. I think older people are actually discounting or demeaning aging when those statements are made, like there's something innately wrong with feeling 60 or 50, or that when you feel better, more energized, that means you're feeling younger, as if someone in their 60s can't be energized. I wish they'd stop or at least think about it. Yes, there are vast differences between me being 37 and me being in my 60s. My fingers weren't bent by what's called Dupuytrens, which I inherited from my dad. I didn't have arthritis. My ears didn't ring quite so loudly with tinnitus, although I had it back then. And we won't talk about what can happen occasionally when I sneeze. (laughs) But you know, so what? I also didn't have the understanding I enjoy now. I didn't know how to love as deeply or not care what others think as much. I didn't appreciate a really great belly laugh. The tears streaming down your face type of laugh like I do today. I couldn't know then that great sorrow doesn't kill you, although it feels like it might, or that a simple touch at just the right moment means more than anything. So I told you I was going to give you a technique that might help. I have noticed that the emails I've been getting from you, the listeners, you all have very diverse ages. Some of you are teenagers. Some of you are 20s, 30s, or older. So what is this technique What is something you can do to keep apathy and fear from keeping your self-esteem growing as you age, like the woman I talked about in her forties? It's the technique of reframing. You can reframe life, your own life, other people's lives, in a more positive direction, which focuses not on what you're leaving or the past, but what's in the future, where you're going. I've conceptualized my life for a long time, for example, in decades. The first time I did this reframing was when I turned 30. My 20s had been tumultuous, to say the least, and I was deciding to leave the field of jingle and nightclub singing and go into music therapy. But I was also having a little trouble with letting go of music. It was hard for me to move out of that career. I had emotional ties to it that was hard for me not to grieve pretty strongly. So I gave the upcoming decade a theme. I called it The Decade of the Mind, And that lofty title served to motivate me and reframe turning older. It helped me let go of that music career. And it turns out that this concept, this whole decade naming thing kind of stuck with me. Not as something that limited me in any way, quite the opposite. Giving a new decade an initial desired focus helps you enter it with a sense of creativity and positive expectation. It reframes aging. The reframing term is simply as if you have an old picture that you really love, but you want to freshen it up. You want to make it something that is vital and meaningful in the moment. So you reframe it, right? So when you give a decade this initial focus, it serves to remind you what you're trying to learn, what you want to bring into your life, not what you're letting go of. It's not a resolution per se, because those are usually more specific. Reframing is actually a very common therapeutic technique and one that's helpful in keeping a positive attitude. Rather, for example, than focusing on a fear of getting older, you focus on how you're still changing and growing. Here's a good reframe. You're thinking, oh, it's raining today and I've got to run errands. I'm going to get soaked. A reframe for that. I may get wet running errands today, but it won't matter because I'll feel good about getting them done, and I need to wash my hair anyway. Again, you hear the difference in the attitude of approaching doing errands. It turns something that you fear or that you dislike, or maybe even that hurts you, into something that you can tolerate or even learn from. I was a sickly kid, and I can remember having to sit in neurologist's waiting rooms just for hours and hours and hours, And my mom didn't know she was reframing it, but she would come up with games for me to play, mental things in my mind that made the time go by faster. That's a reframe. So rather than focusing on leaving the music field that I loved, I asked myself these questions. What do I want to try to create in this decade? What have I not tried? What part of me or life itself have I not explored? Where is there need that I could address? Like I said, I reframed it and called it the Decade of the Mind. I took out my brain, dusted it off, and received training as a music therapist and then a psychologist. What were my 40s? They were the Decade of the Heart. I was lucky enough to become a mother when I was 39. And I finally had a successful marriage. It was not in that order, by the way, (laughs) but that's okay. And I got to sing a little as well, which made it all the better. As I recall, I had a little trouble conceptualizing or reframing the beginning of my 50s. I was smack dab in the middle of menopause. I just wanted out of that, as I'm sure my husband and son did as well. I think, however, that it was the decade of acceptance. There were more transitions and changes that I can remember in all my lifetime. Some extremely joyful, others very painful. My parents' deaths, my nephew's weddings, and the exciting births of their children. My son leaving for college and me beginning to accept Empty Nest while I began a new writing career, which was very exciting for me, my friends actually started dying. So it was a decade full of things that I had to learn to accept. It's easy the older we get to get bogged down by what we can't control, what aches, what we're losing, what's irritating us. What's disappointing about the world and humanity itself? I've already reframed this decade. This decade, I've definitely framed as the decade of risk. I started a podcast. I've written a book. I've gone from a mantra in my 40s to, if not now, when, to, why not me? That's my mantra for my 60s. Why not me? Of course, I realize some of you may be listening and saying, yeah, but what if you get sick? What if you have chronic depression? What if you have chronic anxiety? Well, I do have chronic anxiety. The wonderful thing about my 60s is that I've learned how to manage it so much better. And it's never, never too late to take on a change and to learn to work with and accept whatever you're struggling with in mental illness. Aging can only make that more important because, of course, you are aware that you don't have as many years to live. And approaching that with a positive reframe can be life-changing. I don't care if you're turning 20, 30, 40, 50. That same technique will work for you. Try it out. See what you think. Our listener email today is from someone who's identified with perfectly hidden depression. So many of you have and have written me about it. I'm absolutely thrilled about that because certainly it validates the idea that there are many people walking around trying to manage their depression with a perfect-looking persona. She writes, I'm emailing you tonight after listening to your podcast for the first time today. I've been struggling and searched depression podcasts and found yours. Hearing about Ph.D. was like an alarm going off. I have a high amount of the traits you associate with Ph.D. I took your questionnaire and was way up there on your Ph.D. range. I've been struggling with feelings of depression and suspecting things haven't been right for some time. I have a very hard time confiding in anyone, especially as I outwardly appear to have a wonderful life. I have many perfectionistic qualities that tie into my professional life, and she tells me what she does, but I'll leave that out. And I have issues with anxiety if my plans or lists get derailed. I've been married now for a couple of years, and this past year has been a huge challenge as well. I bottle up things even from my husband, and I no longer know how to construct vent to him, tell him my feelings, or discuss normal couple frustration. My happiest hours are now when I'm at work, busy with many tasks, And my mental state seems to plummet as I get home. I'm starting to see that I should seek help, but I am unsure how to get started. I plan on continuing with your podcasts, but I want to find someone to talk to. One of the reasons why I began self-work was because I wanted just this response from listeners. That if I make sense to you, that so would another therapist. Sometimes it can take a little work to find one that you really feel comfortable with but I wanted to promote the idea and invite you to look for someone locally. If self-work gets you started on that path, then that really pleases me. So here's my answer to her. I'm delighted to hear that self-work has been helpful and that you found the concept of PhD enlightening. I had a woman that I've been seeing now for around nine months tell me just yesterday that she had looked and looked for what was wrong with her. But she, like you, didn't fit the criteria for depression. So what did she do? She shamed herself for not being grateful enough for the blessings she had. She had an interesting backstory. She came from a family that always swept anything unpleasant under the rug. She'd spent years in infertility treatment and tried to adopt, but that fell through. She would never let anyone know what a struggle all of that was for her. And sure enough, she had sexual abuse in her history. Yes, she's very successful and attractive. Yes, she's got good friends. Yes, she's still close to her family. But there was so much grief and anger under the surface, and her relationship with her husband was suffering terribly. All of this to say, please do seek counseling. I have a lot of articles on my own website, which is DrMargaretRutherford.com. You have to be brutally honest with your therapist, or you're more likely to get diagnosed with anxiety or some kind of situational depression, maybe. You want to find a therapist that you like, you feel understood by, and trust that they are really listening and that they get who you are. One of the things that may be going on in this woman's marriage is that she either may have chosen someone who really did not know how to engage with her on a more vulnerable level. And so as she's trying more, he's withdrawing more, or she just may not know how to do it very well. And as their relationship deepens, as what happens in marriage, and they grow more interdependent on one another, the stakes actually go up much higher because it's harder and harder to become vulnerable when your lives are so intertwined, or it can be. I'd also suggest to her that perhaps she get couples therapy with him so that both of them can become more comfortable with those kinds of more intimate conversations many of us struggle in our primary relationships to actually let the other one know what's going on with us but it's so important because your partner can be such a source of help and understanding so good luck Thank you for listening to today's podcast on aging. Again, I don't really think it matters how old you are because you can get anxious about aging at any age, but the older you get, the more important it is to do that reframing technique. There are lots of ways to reach out to me. My website, as I said before, is drmargaretrutherford.com. Please email me at askdrmargaret at com. Those emails are confidential. And I will be getting to them as soon as I can. There are more of you who are emailing me, which I love. I get to know my audience. And actually, next week's podcast is based on someone's question to me. So I get ideas from you as well of what you want to hear. There's another way of reaching out to me. I now have a Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'd love to have you as a member of the group. I give out journal prompts and talk about different issues, and others offer their stories and their wisdom as well. Please leave me a rating or review. That is so motivating for me. I do still see 30 to 35 people a week. So adding on this podcast and my blogging is something I love, but it's great to know that it's being received well, and that really helps me out. You can also subscribe at drmargaretbrotherford.com and you'll receive a weekly newsletter with my podcast and blog post for the week. So feel free to do that. We'd love to have you on board. Thanks again for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.